Good morning. We can do better than that. Good morning. I'm not even on, I don't think. They'll work on it. They'll get it going. If you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7 and go to 13 today. But the title of the sermon today is Providential Power. The power of God's providence and the power of providential thinking for the believer. I want to start off with a question that I was thinking of while we were singing that last song. It says, I will put my trust in you alone. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? And it's very easy to say, yeah, I trust God. No, do you trust Him? Do you trust who He is? And when He does something, are you trusting Him fully? Do you trust Him? It has a lot to do with providence. And we'll get into that today, Lord willing. But I want to start off with this statement before we read this. If we trust Him, do we trust Him? Ask, answer that question yourself. But God is in control, and there is a purpose for His plan. If you trust Him, you'll know that, and you'll, you'll rest in that. But last week, we talked about cosmic light, about how we are the light of the world. Jesus says He's the light of the world. Then He turns and says to us in another place, You are the light of the world. And how we, he displays the wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers, the cosmos. And how when we sin, it causes a ripple effect onto everyone around us. But his grace causes a greater ripple effect. And when he changes someone's life, he's, changing, he's making all things new by that grace that he's working in each and every one of our lives if we are saved. And how the most insignificant things... That, or the things that we think are insignificant, it, we should put it that way, the things that we think are insignificant hold much weight with the, in, in displaying the wisdom of God to those principalities and powers, those angels, the good and the, and the bad, and how amazed they are at what God is doing in our lives. We should still be, we should be that amazed. We should be that um, flabbergasted. We should, um, the way that they want, they long to look into the grace that God has given us, we should long to look at that. When we sit and think and meditate on what God has done for us, it should just begin to blow you away. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But He's done it. And, he's, and, and the reason I know He's done it is because my life's different. I, I think differently and my heart is different towards sin. Now, but those things that we think are insignificant are ways of peeling back that curse, peeling back those ripple effects. We talked about that last week. But this week, we want to talk about God's providence. We'll talk about these three things. Sovereign providence, providence carried out in Christ, and the power of providential thinking. Those things hopefully we'll leave today, hopefully with a better understanding of God's providence. These things that Paul is writing in this book, I can't take long enough on. Um, I feel so insignificant when you're trying to describe something that's so other than us. We don't really have ways of describing it other than what we've been given and what we know about God. But if you will, go ahead and stand and let's read this passage together as the Word of God. We'll start in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and read through 13. It says, Paul speaking to the Ephesians. 
Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He is the Creator. Verse 10, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are insignificant, un- insufficient to try to describe you in general, Lord, but I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, which is you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, speak to us. Lord, help me to hear your voice. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand how, uh, how you lead our lives with such care and such love and such thought and such providence. Lord, just, just fill our ears uh, with your spirit that we would be able to comprehend these things this morning. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. We'll start off with the first point here. Sovereign providence. Sovereign providence. Let's read verse th- uh, 11 right there. That's where we're going to start. It says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want that, those two words in the middle there to stick out to you. The eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. So we want to talk about what, sovereignty versus providence. Is there a difference between those two? They're very similar, but there's a very distinct difference between those two what is sovereignty you you guys should know that by now you should know that by now so you're telling me god is sovereign that's what you hear me say all the time when you think things are working out and you and you know god has done something you're telling me god is sovereign he is in control of those things sovereignty is this it is the right and power and freedom to do all that you will to do I want to say that again because only one can be sovereign. Only one can be ultimately sovereign. It is the right and power and freedom to do all that you will to do. We can't do all that we will to do. We've talked about that in the, in the chapters past about how you can't do anything but sin before you're saved. Before you're saved, you're dead in your trespasses and your sins and you are enslaved to sin. So you can't do anything that you will to do, even because you do all the things, you're enslaved to that sin. You, you do sin and that's all you do. But sovereignty is the right and the power and freedom to do all that you will to do. No one is going to stop you. No one is going to stand in your way if you are sovereign. The sovereign entity that you may be speaking of, we're not just talking about God, we're talking about whoever is sovereign. A sovereign entity is in complete control. And then we put those two together. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in control. 
Who is it that's in control of all things? God. God is in control of all things. We need to tell ourselves that sometimes. Because we, we, we get worried and we get stressed about so many things that come along. And we, we begin to try to take control of those things. And when we try to take control of those things, you've heard me say it before, you'll be so frustrated. And I said it the week before last, I believe we weren't created for sovereignty. We can't handle it. Our arms are too weak. Our legs are too weak. We can't carry something like that. We cannot carry sovereignty. We have, we have to rest in His sovereignty. God and God alone is in control. We have no questions about that. So what is providence? What is the difference between sovereignty and providence? When, when you think of God's providence, I want you to think of this word because this will sum it up very well. You have God's sovereignty. He is in control of all things. When you hear providence, I want you to think of this word, purpose. It is the purpose in His sovereignty. The purpose in His control. It's basically the personality you see in your life of God coming through that control of all things. He's not just setting things in motion and, and, and having His hand over it, making things happen. No, providence, I want you to think about it. Providence is Him moving through that. His personality, you see His character, you see His hand, you see His fingerprints moving through providence. Think of the word, when you think of providence, think of the word purpose. Providence comes from the word provide. Provide. Latin, the Latin part, the first part there is pro, means to or toward. Vide in Latin is to see, to see toward, to see to. In other words, providence means, or to provide means to see to it that it's going to happen. To see to that that it's going to happen. See that it happens. Supply what is needed. To give sustenance or support to, to get to that goal. God will declare things in, in His sovereignty that they will happen, but His providence is the way that it gets there. You see His fingerprints and you see His, his character and His um, all throughout the, the situation. And so many times I don't think we stop and think about His providence. We think we've got to do this, we've got to do that. We don't understand. We get upset when we're late to things or we get upset when things don't work out the way that we thought they should. But you don't realize God's providence has you right where you need to be to learn exactly what you need to learn at the time. You'll hear me say this all the time. You may be late because you, it was poor planning, but God planned for your poor planning. You may have woke, woken up late because you didn't set your alarm, but there may have been a wreck he, that he kept you out of down the road. That is providence. You, don't, you and I don't think about that often. You have to stop and think about those things. The person that's in line in front of you is taking forever. Well, why is that? Well, you don't know what's down the road or what, where you would have been had he not slowed you down. What the days that you're going through every, every green light in Greenville, you just seem to be hitting them all. Well, he wanted you there faster for a reason. It's not just sovereignty. There's providence in all those things. He has his reasons. He has a purpose for those things. Sovereignty is the right and the power and freedom to do all that he wills to do. And he is sovereign. And providence is purpose, the purpose in that control. God has a purpose and he sees to it that it comes to pass. 
In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, I want to read this. You can turn there, and I, I may have written it. I'm not sure if I put it up there. I probably didn't, but I'm going to read it really, really quickly. God speaking through Isaiah, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. Do you believe that? I want to stop and say, do you believe that? I am God, and there is no other. So many things are competing for competing for God. He says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. You sit back and think of all the other gods that you've worshipped in your life. All the other sins and things that lifestyles that you've lived for and, and been a slave to and, and all those different things. Is there any God like him? Because he sets you free and then he frees you up to follow him. And it is not burdensome whatsoever. It is the most freedom, is the most freeing thing to follow him. Yes, it's work, and yes, it's an enjoyable work. That's the difference. When you're working in a lifestyle of sin, it is work, and it is slavery is what it is. Me and Dee joke about how the, how the day is going. We'll text each other, how, how's it going today? Well, I'm, I'm at the slave trade. You know, we're just, you know, we're just joking. But that, that's what it's like when you're living a life of sin. It is a slave trade. You are a slave to that sin. Whatever that sin is, you, it cracks the whip and you obey. When you follow Him, you are free. You are free to follow Him. And it is work, but it is an enjoyable work. He said, I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. He doesn't just know that we're going to do things. He's written the book. He has written the whole book. Jesus even says the whole book here is written of me. When you read the Old Testament, you see Jesus. You read the New Testament, you see Jesus. But he says he declares the end from the beginning and, the ancient, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. He doesn't say I might get some of it accomplished or he doesn't say, my, can't, my counsel stands sometimes. No, what God intends to do in His sovereignty, through His providence, in that purpose, it shall stand, it will stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. That should be a comfort to you because if He's called you into the kingdom, you will finish. It will be accomplished. No matter where you're at in life right now, you may be in the middle of some sort of sin you're fighting. You may be in some, some stressful situation, but you can take comfort from that. He says, I will accomplish all my purpose. Because you know what? He called us according to his purpose. And if he's called us according to his purpose, he will finish it. I will accomplish all my purpose. He is in control, and if he's called you according to that purpose, he will finish it. He will bring it to pass. If you want a good book to read, that you'll, it'll probably take you years to read. And I'm, it looks like Mount Everest is John Piper's book, Providence. It's like this thick. I was so excited when it was coming out. I was like, man, this is a textbook for me. And I'm lo I love it. I can't just keep going. It's just like I'm going to have to train for this. Because it's, it's like his whole life's work in a book. But he says this, I want you to get this. He's talking about when, when God was leading uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. He's talking about the Exodus. He says, at the Exodus, 
God made a name for himself by acting as a God of absolutely free grace. Now, when you hear free grace, I don't want you to think price or cost. It is free from any influence. It's free. It has no bounds on him. He does how he pleases. Don't think of price tag. Don't think of cheap or, or expensive. He's acting as a God of absolutely free grace. Nothing is holding on him. Nothing is hindering him or influencing or poking or prodding him to do a certain thing. He does as he pleases. So when you hear that, he says it again later. But it says, he, God made a name for himself by acting as a God of absolutely free grace. That is, he showed his saving power for a people, Israel, who were no more deserving of salvation than the Egypt, Egyptians. He is who he is, and he saves whom he saves. That is the freedom of grace. That is the freedom of sovereignty. That is the freedom of providence. He does as he pleases. That's scary to us, but you have to remember, and you'll hear me say it again through this sermon, he is good. He is just. You can trust him. Do you trust him? He is who he is, and he saves whom he saves. That is the freedom of grace. Beneath the name he makes for himself is the name he is in himself. What he's saying is the thing that he is doing proves who he is. It proves his name, that he does as he pleases. As he acts, that is his name. But the name that is beneath that name is the name that he has revealed in and, in and of himself, I am who I am. Because that is broken down into a, a language to try to capture who he is. Him doing as he pleases set, makes a name for himself in and of itself. You get what I'm saying? So he says, beneath the name he makes for himself, beneath his actions, which isn't far, they're tied. They're tied together. But it, the only reason it is beneath is because it's our language and it breaks down. I am who I am. No one else can say that. I exist in and of myself. The aseity of God. He doesn't exist because of anything else. He exists in and of himself. His existence happens because of himself. All of it is inside of him. Nothing causes him to live. That is how much in control he is. That's how far above he is than us. I want you to remember this. God does as he pleases, but it is never, it is never without a good and just purpose. You have to trust him in that. You have to trust that he's good. You have to trust that he's just because a God that can do as he pleases scares us because we know how we are. If we were in control, in our heart we know that's what scares us. We know that he, he might do something unjust, but he cannot do something that's unjust. God does as he pleases, but he is, it is never, whatever he does as he pleases is never done without a good and a just purpose. God is never just randomly toying with his creation. That'll be the temptation you think of You'll think, why is he doing all these? Why is he allowing these things to happen? He's never toying with us, sitting there, well, let me test this. Let me, let me try that. He doesn't have to test anything. He doesn't have to try anything because he knows it already. See, that's hard for us to comprehend. 
He's never just randomly toying with his creation, nor is he a deistic God who spins things into motion and lets the chips fall where they may. That's what deism says. God, God created everything and he just lets it go. However it goes, it goes. And then he reacts to everything that's happening. No, that's not how it goes. If he did that, we would all have been dead many years ago because he's the one that holds us together. We may say all the time, let the chips fall where they may, as if it were some unknown outcome. Proverbs 16.23 says this, and I know some of you know this passage, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We should praise God for that. Because if anything's left to chance, it will go to hell, basically. And that's not a figure of speech, that's the truth. If it is left to chance, that's what it will be. Because if it's left to chance, God's goodness is not there. If his goodness is not there, his control is not there. If his control is not there, it is out of control. Out of control. It's every decision is from the Lord. What we should say is this, let the chips fall precisely where they were predestined to. <laughs> we don't like the word predestined. Why don't, why don't we? Why, why not? Because we don't trust God and that He is good and that He has a good and a just purpose for doing as He pleases. We think we, we, in, in our core, in our flesh, we think we could do it better. We wouldn't say that out loud and we may not even be able to express it, but we don't like the fact that he uses terminology that says predestined or that every, every uh, decision is from the Lord. Well, if you know he's good and you know he's just, you know every decision will be a good and a just decision. So we, have, we need to trust him in that. We need to trust that he's good. No matter what situation you find yourself in, stressed out, too busy, Whatever is going on, you, ne you need to be able to trust that God has you in that situation to teach you something about Christ. It's not purposeless. It's never purposeless. We feel like it is purposeless sometimes. We're like, well, this is just really random. My life just feels really random. It's never random. Never. The light is cast into the lab, but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's every decision. We don't like that because we... Don't trust ourselves because we, in our flesh, want to be in control like God. And so we don't like that. We don't like it. We have to give that up and trust Him because if we understand and we know that He's good, He can be trusted. Purely good. No sin in Him. No ability to sin because if He sinned, it'd be against His nature. And if He did sin against His nature, He'd cease to be God. And we would be out of control. We would all cease to exist. Ephesians 1.11, we've already covered this, but I'm bringing it back up because it's in the letter. 1.11, predestined according to the counsel of His will, His purpose. We get nervous when we hear this word because we think of, how is it love if we don't pick Jesus out of the crowd? How is it love if we don't pick Him first, if we're not in control? How is it love? We forget that God is love. And we are dead. 
If we don't have God, we can't love him without him. Does that make any sense? You get what I'm saying? If God is love, how could we, how could we ever love him first? How would we ever pick him first? Because God has to be with you to give you the love to love him with. Because God is love. We forget that God is love and we are dead. We would not love God without Him loving us. Sounds familiar. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. Don't forget that. We love Him and we love others. We fulfill, we fulfill the great commandments because He is love, because He loved us first. God's providence has lovingly, purposefully, and actively chosen and planned for your joy to be found in him otherwise it would not happen it would not happen he cares and he loves that much for you if you are saved here and you are repenting of your sin and you believe in him and you trust in him and you're growing in those things it is because he has purpose for you to love him it could have been totally different it could have been a totally different situation we don't deserve that that should make you look at him and worship him because there's no reason, just in the same way, there was no reason between the Egyptians and Israel for him to, uh, to, to cast out the Egyptians for their arrogance and to save Israel because of their righteousness. Neither one of them were any better than the other one. They both deserved hell, but because of his goodness and because of his grace, he decided to save Israel. There's no difference between the Egyptians and Israel, but because he decided, he determined he would, he would do that with Israel. That's the only reason he determined to do so. There was nothing in Israel. There's nothing in you. There was nothing in me that made him say, I'm going to save that person. Boy, they sure are good. Look at them. No, he looked at him and he said, man, they're a mess. They will be a mess, but they will be a mess no longer. And we always go to the other side of the question. Why does he not do that to everyone? Wrong question. Why does he even do it to anyone? Keep that in your mind. Why does he even save anybody? Don't get hung up on the thing. Well, why doesn't he save everybody? Don't, don't get hung there. Don't get stuck there. Because you should be amazed that he's even rescuing one soul. He didn't make a way for the angels and he's totally just and still good for it. He didn't make a way. He could have left us the same way and he would have not diminished in his character whatsoever. But because he is sovereign, because he has providence, he, the reason your life has changed is because he intended to change your life. And he's still changing your life. If God's goodness and grace is not present in a situation, there is no goodness or grace to be found. I'm going to say that again. If God's goodness and grace is not present in a situation, there is no goodness or grace to be found. It's either all of him or it's nothing. We have grace from him or we, you have no grace from him. This is what makes hell, hell. Hell isn't hell because God isn't there. People, they get that a little twisted sometimes. Hell isn't hell because God isn't there. It is hell because God is there. It is his wrath and it is only his wrath. Hell is everything... It's everything about his wrath absent from grace and mercy. There is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no compassion. There are no characteristics other than his wrath in hell. That is it. That's all you get. There's no, it's all gas, no break. 
But in the same way, because he's purposed to save you and he's changed your life, there's all gas and no brake towards heaven too. All gas, there's no, no restriction. All love, all, all his compassion, all of his grace, all of his mercy. It is that extreme because he's an extreme God. He's not like us. We are not like him. John Piper again in that book, he says this is good. He has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. That is in scripture. His ultimate goal is this. God's ultimate goal is that those who have eyes to see will come to tremble at his justice and treasure the glory of his grace. His self-determined, absolutely free from anything else, grace. I'll read that last part. His ultimate goal is that those who have eyes to see will come to tremble at his justice. What is that? Tremble at the fact that he's left some people to go to hell. We don't know who that is yet, so we go and preach to everyone. It doesn't cause us not to preach. It causes us to go find everyone. It should drive you to go preach the gospel to every single person because there's family we don't see yet. Remember we talked about the visible and invisible church. We, we, our job with the gospel is to go make the invisible church visible, to call our family in, to get them in. God brings them in. But it should cause us to tremble at his justice when we see that he has left some people and it could have been us that he left. And that, seeing trembling at his justice, will help you and drive you to treasure the glory of his grace. You hear that said so many times in song, the glory of his grace, the glory of his grace. No, the glory of his goodness in that grace of not leaving you that way, but bringing you to him. Bringing you to him, changing your life by his sovereignty, by his providence. Every intention of thinking of your name, it wasn't just a broad stroke. It was he called your name and the reason your life has changed is because he called your name out of that grave. His self-determined, absolutely free from anything holding him or bounding him to it. Free grace. That is providence versus sovereignty. And we should be thankful that he's in control. Number two, providence carried out in Christ. In verse 11 there, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't like the word he realized because nothing God realizes. What that means is the other sense of the word is that he carried it out. Christ carried out this eternal purpose. He accomplished this eternal purpose is what the word actually means. So it really reads as this it was according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished or that that was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what was it that was carried out or accomplished? The whole first two chapters. Let's go through them. Verse 11, he says this. What is this? This was according to the, this. And verse 10, that the wisdom of God might be, made, might be displayed to the cosmos, that he would make all things new through what Christ has done. To bring to light the plan, the koinonia, the family from all kinds of tribes, tongues, and nations. This is what he has accomplished. 
showing that he is the cornerstone of the church. He is the beginning of the, of the temple. He is, the, he is the, the head of the church, head of the body. He's accomplished that we have access with one spirit to the Father. He's accomplished that he tore down the walls of hostility. He's accomplished that he's making one new man, one new body, one church from the old man. It used to be physical Israel. Now it's broken into a bigger family, one that has been held as a mystery for all these years. The church, the bride, is so much more bigger, so much more beautiful than what we ever intended in the Old Testament or whatever we, whatever we saw in the Old Testament through Israel. It is so much bigger and so much more beautiful because the wisdom of God, remember, is the multifaceted, the multicolored wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. That's what he's accomplished. He's accomplished making peace because he himself is our peace. Even though when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive by His grace through the power of His resurrection. That's what He's accomplished. He has made us His workmanship. Remember His workmanship, His poem, His song. He is writing a song in your life. If He were just sovereign, He'd be in control of it. But His purpose is the writing of the lyrics. I'm going to write this lyric just this way. This is what your life will be like. Next verse. Next stroke of the paint making that painting it's going to be like this it's got purpose intent love is coming out in it you'll hear you'll hear us say in the south i don't know if it's everywhere up north or anywhere else in the country but when someone makes a good meal they make it either with love or they don't and you know what i'm talking about some people have a have a meal and you know they just threw it together and it was to get it done but some people when they make a meal they'll put love in it it's because they wanted they they wanted it to be loved when they enjoyed it when you look back at your poem, when you look back at your painting, you're going to love it. And when you look at it right now and look back at where you were, you already love it. Because you were living one kind of way, you were dead, and you were enslaved to your sin. Now you're free to your sin. What will you do with your freedom? That's what I said last week. What will you do with that freedom? That's what he's accomplished. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. One of the Trinity lives inside of you. All three of them, if we go back to the sermon, all three of them, the Father lives within you, the Christ lives within you, and the Holy Spirit lives within you, and we get filled with Him off and on throughout our lives. Pray for His filling. He has sealed us, just like with that, that king's ring into, into that wax. You have the seal, you have the imprint of God on you because of His sovereignty, because of His providence. According to His purpose, He lavishes grace on us with all wisdom and insight through His blood, it was through his sacrifice. He didn't have to do that. He did not have to leave his throne, but he did leave his throne, and he came down here, and he lived, and he experienced temptation just the way we experience temptation, but he never gave in to it. And then he died for no, for, no, no, for no cause of his own, but for our cause because of the sins that we did. He took our sin. We took his righteousness, or he gave it to us. A little unfair. A little unfair. We've called it a scandal before, and that's what it is. But he did it out of love. He did it out of his purpose. He did it out of his sovereignty. His providence has done that. Jesus has carried out his God's sovereign providence through his life, and he continues to do so as he prays for us and intercedes on our behalf. He's accomplished adopting us into his family, and now we call his Father our Father. That's what he's accomplished. And we think, oh, it's just father, father. No, like he's your dad. 
you belong to him. He belongs to you. He's your father. He's not Jesus' father alone anymore. He is your father too. He's accomplished that because of Christ's work. He has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing and he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That is what he's accomplished. That's how Jesus has carried out the providence of God, of providence of the Godhead. When Jesus was on the cross, he said a very simple phrase, but it was so complex in its simplicity. He said, it is finished. It is accomplished. So many things are packed into that one thing. And we have no idea when you first read that. He's dying on, dying on the cross, giving, laying down his life, has no blood left, and he says, it is finished. It's accomplished. I've given them everything the Spirit has given Paul to the Ephesians that we're reading. I've done it all. I've finished it all. It's accomplished. Why? Because that's what he determined to do, free from any influence. He did just because he did. Because that's what he desired to do. My dad used to give me gifts sometimes. I said, why did you, you go get Just because I did. Just because I did. Because I love you. And you think as a kid, well, man, I wonder, I mean, why? Like, why does he love? He just, I just do. I just do. Because you belong to me. I'm proud of you. I said that to one of my kids the other day. I'm proud of you. Well, I've been doing that. I've been doing that already. Why do why you tell? Because I am. Because I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Ephesians 3.12, he says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness, freedom in speaking, unreserved, cheerful courage. We have boldness when we come to him. Access, we, we preached a whole sermon on having access to God. Access, the ability to bring to him. We have access. You can't come into certain offices unless you have an appointment. Remember we talked about that. You can go into his office anytime you want to. You have access. You have freedom in speaking to him however you want. You don't blaspheme him, obviously. But why would you want to when you know him? You go and ask him and you bring things to him. Father, I need help with this. Father, we need an air conditioner, we believe we need it. Let me correct that. We believe we need to be comfortable here. But if you see to it, give us the money that we'll have. And he's gracious to us because we don't need air condition. We don't need that. We need the, the weighty thing. We need salvation. We need to walk with him. We need to talk with him. And he gives those things out of his abundance of grace. The fact that we can sit in here and not sweat to death is just grace. Is People are having church under trees out in Africa. I mean, in Guatemala, in the middle of the jungle, they're having church. They're fine because they, had, they got Jesus. But if he gives us that air condition, we'll just praise him all the more because we didn't deserve that either. But we have boldness, the freedom of speaking. We have access, the ability to bring it to him with confidence. That word confidence is trust. I asked you at the very beginning, do you trust God? In whom we have boldness and access with confidence, with trust, with trust. Trust is a hard thing to come by nowadays. When trust is broken, it's hard to gain it back. We can trust him.
because he's good, because he's just. We can come to him with confidence, with trust, through our faith, our persuasion in him. Trust and persuasion of what? His character. Don't forget his character. When things are out of control and they feel like they're going every which way, trust in his providence that he has you there and you can trust it that it is a good purpose. In Jesus, we have the ability to freely come to him, trusting and persuaded of his character. We trust in his sovereign hand and we trust in his providential purpose. That's what we have to do. We trust in his sovereign hand and we trust in his providential purpose. Number three here as we finish the power of providential thinking. This will change your life if you'll grab a hold onto it. The power of providential thinking. Paul says in verse 13 here, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. What does Paul understand? That God is in control and that if he's in that prison, he's in that prison because God's purpose is for him to be in that prison because there's someone he wants to talk to. There's someone God wants to talk to. There's something he's working in Paul to make him more like Christ. Paul knows that. So he says, I ask that you not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Have you ever lost heart in a situation or a season of life? Have you ever lost heart where you're just like, I don't know. I just, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know why I'm in this season of life. It's so frustrating. Things are just going haywire, it feels like. It feels like there's no purpose. But when you go back and you think of God, you know there's a purpose because you trust Him. Do you trust Him in the middle of something like that? You get so discouraged by what's going on around you. I've been there. Me and Jessica have been there. You get so discouraged about every single thing that's coming along. You think you get hope about something. And then it falls through. You get discouraged by what you're going through physically, emotionally, spiritually. When people tell you, they come to you and say, well, God is in control. You sit, you sit there and think, yeah, I know, but it doesn't feel like it. It's all under control. It just doesn't, it doesn't do what it needs to do into you. You're just like, yeah, I know that, but it don't feel like it. You know, you ever been in that place? The power of providential thinking. When you find yourself in the day-to-day struggles, the seasonal struggles, or the lifelong struggles, knowing and being settled on the fact that God, in His sovereignty, is in control of the most, is the most helpful in a general way. Knowing that he's in sovereign and that he's in control of your situation is helpful in a very general way. That's what we're just talking about. You know, yeah, I get it, but it feels like it's out of control. Yeah, I know, and there's nothing out of his control. I get that. It's helpful in a general way. It is the truth. But knowing and being settled in God's providence helps to settle the emotions. It helps to settle the emotions that there is a purpose in this control. There is purpose in this that feels like it's out of control. It feels so frustrating. There's a purpose in it. I want you to take these two things here with you before we, before we stop. Trusting God's sovereignty will settle the situation. Trusting God's providence will settle the person. That's the difference. Trusting God's sovereignty will settle the situation and you'll be able to put your head on the pillow at night because you know God's got it and you trust Him with it. But trusting God's providence will settle the person. When you know God is in control of everything, you know you don't have to worry about that situation, but you still feel all kinds of ways. 
and you'll go to sleep knowing he's got it. But when you know that there's a purpose behind it, your emotions go, I trust him. I can trust him. He's good. God is good. He is just. Whatever it is, it's aimed towards me in love. Romans 8, 28, the famous passage. A lot of people, they know this passage and they, and they love it. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Me and Jessica were so frustrated in God's timing with ministry. We would go down certain roads of ministry and, did, and make all the sense in the world and God would shut the door. God would shut the door. The doors would close it, but that was what we would pray for. If God, if you don't want us to go forward, you need to close the door. And he would, and we'd get frustrated about it. Children, you know, we were just like, nah. but no, that's what we prayed for, and we'd have to remember that. We would say, God is in control. And after the fourth or fifth time, you just kind of, you don't know, you start to shake your head because you're, your person is this unsettled. We were never un- unsettled on God being in control, but we began to try and understand his purpose. We would ask questions like this, Father, what are you doing with us? Why is all of this falling through? Folks would become Job's friends. They would come up and say, well, maybe you're just not called to do anything. Maybe you're just supposed to just do this or do that. And everybody would just abandon ship on the, on the mission and leave you alone. That is the worst feeling in the world to be left alone when you know God's called you to do something. And I think he does it on purpose. He always take, took his prophets out to the outskirts of the, of the town where they were all alone. The shepherds, where did they stay? All on the outskirts of the town, all alone with the sheep. He always brings you to a place where you feel alone so you can meet with him. I knew better than that. Jessica knew better than that as well because I drove her crazy. Go ask her. Why is he doing this? Why I'm asking her all of the God-sized questions and she doesn't know. But she had to, I had to, her ears would fall off. Knowing and being settled on the sovereignty of God, we knew it wasn't out of his control that kept us from losing our minds through those situations. Knowing and being settled on his character, he is holy He does not sin. He is good. He is just. He is our Father. He is our Good Shepherd. All of that helped us to know that He has a good purpose in leading us through tough situations. But there is power in providential thinking. As things are happening in life, good or bad, ask this. If you're in the middle of something, whether it's good or bad, no matter what the situation is, if everything's going fine for you, ask these questions. What is God teaching me through this situation? How is God using this person or situation to make me more like Christ? Trust God's character that He is good and loves His children. You don't have this hope if Christ hasn't changed your life. You don't have that hope. Nothing happens by chance. If you love God and are called according to His purpose, all things are working together for good. We may see the purpose right away. We may see it later. And we may not know until we see him face to face. Take these with you as we close. Don't get sidetracked by the situation. Be settled in his sovereignty. Don't get pummeled by the problem. Look for the purpose in his providence. Look for the purpose in his providence.
Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Let's pray. As we follow Christ, this is a good way to think. I've said it before and C.S. Lewis just wrote it so great in his book. When he's talking about God, talking about Aslan as representing God. Safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There is a purpose in in the situation that he has. In the statement we begin with, God is in control. And there is a purpose for his plan. Father, I pray that we would trust you more. Lord, we know you're in control. But Lord, let us start looking for the purpose. What are you showing us? What are you teaching us? What aspect of Christ, what aspect of Jesus are you working into us? What part of the flesh are you working out of us? Why are we in that situation? We know if we belong to you, it is full of purpose. Full of purpose. Not one thing that you bring into our lives, no matter what it is we're eating, whatever it is, it has a play in it. It is a purpose. And Lord, we are thankful that you have purposed to save us when we didn't deserve it. No difference between Israel and and Egypt. But you freely chose to save Israel and work your plan through them. In the same way, Lord, you've done it to us. And there's no reason for us to brag or boast. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your character. Help us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.